So this week is the uh, second week of our uh, sermon series called Human. Who does God say that I am and why does it matter? And during this series, we're going to be looking at some of the key themes from the Bible that define us as people. And a true understanding of who we are and what we are as humans is extremely important to every one of us to, uh, to understand ourselves and in, in our lives. And, and there are eight key statements that summarize our themes for this series. And here they are, eight key statements. Uh, first one is, I was made on purpose and for a purpose. And uh, that was one we, we focused on last week, and, and we, we said that our lives are not the meaningless result of random chance. God created us so that we could bring glory to him by fulfilling our purpose. The second one is that uh, I am made in God's image and therefore valuable. What is it that makes people valuable? It's not anything that we can do. But it's the fact that we are endowed by our Creator with His image and likeness. Number three, God chose my gender, and it is good. See, God created mankind as male and female, and both genders are good in God's eyes. And we'll be talking about that one uh, further on. Number four, I have a sin nature, but Jesus Christ can help me to rise above it. See, the Bible teaches that we're all fallen people. Uh, We all fail and struggle against sin, and sin has a powerful hold on us, but our struggle is not hopeless. As God works in our lives and we work out our salvation, we do not have to be slaves to sin. Number five, I'm designed to have a loving relationship with other people. One of the core things about people and who we are and what what makes us what we are is that we are relational creatures. God made us to be in society and have relationships with other people. Um, And we need to be in relationships with one another to be all that God made us to be. Number six, I am accountable to God for how I live. There will come a day when each one of us will stand before God and give an account For our lives. But we do not need to fear that day if we put our faith in Jesus and his substitutionary payment that uh, takes care of our sins on our behalf. Number seven, I will live forever, but my future depends on my relationship to Jesus Christ. You see, we have been created with eternal souls that will go on living after these bodies die. This life is just the introduction to our eternal lives. And the nature of those eternal lives depends on how we respond to God now. And then the eighth one, I am designed for a love relationship with God. God created us especially so he could love us as our father and we could love him as his children. So those are the eight ideas. They overlap quite a bit. So we're, in each week, we're kind of taking one per week. But because of the way that, uh, that all these truths are mixed throughout the Scripture and overlap with each other, we'll be talking about them throughout. But those are the eight things that we really want you all to, uh, to get from this series. Now, today, we're going to answer the question that King David asks in one of the great poems of the Bible. The night sky is a really incredible, incredible sight. 
right? And I don't mean the typical night sky that we see uh, when we're in the city or, or even when we're in a small town and we look up and, and half the stars are washed out by all the streetlights and things. And you get away from all the lights and you can really see the stars and when it's really dark. And, uh, and I want you to just think back on a time, most of us have, have had this where you've been out away somewhere, away from town, and, uh, and been able to really look up and enjoy uh, the sight of the stars in the sky, and you see so much more than we are, are used to seeing. You know, Alaska really is not a good place for uh, stargazing because, uh, you know, when it's warm enough to be out at night, it's daylight, and uh, when it's dark, it's so cold that we don't want to be out there. <laughs> but, um, but even in Alaska, you know, uh, if you get out in the winter and you get all bundled up in all your gear and stuff, and you get out away from Anchorage, away from the small towns, get out into the, into the mountains or something, and you can just lay back in the snow and look up at the stars on a clear night, it is a majestic sight. But for David, who wrote this poem, it, w- it was a lot easier for him to find good stargazing. In fact, we know the Bible tells us that, uh, that when he was a teenager, he was a shepherd who would often spend the night out away from town, out in the hills, watching over the sheep. So he was out there in total darkness very frequently. And then later, even when he was an adult, uh, he was running from Saul. We had a lot of sermons about that uh, in our series on the Psalms recently. And he was living out in the desert, camping out. And I'm sure that, uh, that he saw a lot of great starry nights during those days too. And on one of those nights, when he was out looking up at that amazing night sky, he was inspired to write this. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, this moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? See, David is overwhelmed by how huge the created world is and how seemingly insignificant people are. He gets the feeling that of his own smallness compared to how huge the universe is. And it's a glimpse into the greatness of creation that makes his own existence seem trivial. And he asks the question, why does God care about me when I am so small? And that's the question that confronts all of us at some point in our lives, right? What is it that makes me significant? Now, some people look up at the stars and they're overwhelmed by that question of, am I significant? And they conclude that the answer must be that we are, in fact, not significant at all. We're tiny specks in a vast universe and our lives do not matter. But our question here in the Bible is is a more optimistic question. You know, we could look at the vastness of the cosmos and ask, does God care about me? But that's not the question that David asks in this psalm. His question is not a wondering whether God cares. It's a wondering or, or, or wondering whether his life has any importance. Instead, this psalm invites us to be amazed by the fact that God does care about us, despite the truth that we are tiny specks in this vast, immense universe. God does care about us. And the attitude of the psalm here is not, how could God possibly care about such trivial creatures as us in our lives? No, the psalm says, when I look at the greatness of creation, I am stunned and amazed that God 
does care about people. Even though we are so small, God is mindful of us. Praise God. And then the psalm, the psalm pretty much leaves it there. Praise God that he cares for creatures such as us. But when we think about this fact, there's a few more questions that we would like to answer. And this morning, we're going to take a look at some other places in the Bible and see what answers we can find to to a few of those questions. We're going to start out at the beginning with the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2. And And the first point I want to make there comes from the section that we're all working on memorizing this month. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Of all the things that God created, only people are said to be in his image. The fact that we've been made in God's image and likeness means that we reflect God in a variety of ways, and we function as his representatives, ruling over the rest of creation as God's stewards. None of the other uh, of, of the animals are in God's image. Only people are, are said to be in the image of God. And the creation story, if you read the, the full two chapters there, is very clear that Adam and Eve were created separately from the rest of the creation. And for all the other living things, uh, the story is just told in, in large groups of creatures. It talks about first he created the birds, and then the fish, and then the land animals, and, and that's it. He doesn't get into any, any more detail than that. But with... When it comes to the creation of the first people, the story is told as we just read it, and then it's retold again in chapter 2 with more detail and and, and some more uh, things included. And, And it emphasizes the difference between humans as God's image bearers and everything else that was created. So we need to understand that it is this status that God gave to us at creation as creatures that bear his image. That is our ultimate foundational source of value and worth. If we fail to see this, we'll have to see something else as the most basic core of our significance. And a lot of people do that. Some people see their career, that is their, their work, as the thing that gives them value. If they're great at their job and they're successful there, that's what makes them valuable. For some, it's their relationships, their spouse or their kids that are seen as most important. And they long to have that, that perfect Christmas card family. And if they can just have that, then they will have that, that value. Or for some, it's sports. They've got to make the varsity team. Got to be a winner. Or, or for others, it's their academic performance. Got to make the honor roll. Got to be top of the class. Or others see their value as determined by the level of physical beauty. And so they put all their efforts into their hair and their fashion and their exercise to be in shape. And, and none of these are really bad things to pursue. Those are all good. But none of them are legitimate foundations for us to base our value. 
Pastor Timothy Keller explains the danger of making the wrong things the foundation of our sense of self. He says, if you build your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you build your life and identity on your family and your children, you will want to live your life through your children until they resent you and have no self of their own. If you build your life and identity on your work and career, you'll be a driven workaholic and a boring and shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, you will develop deep depression. And if you build your life and identity on relationships and approval, you'll constantly be hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. And we could go on. Anything that you base your foundational value as a person, if if your ultimate foundation is anything other than the fact that God created you as a person in his own image, and he loves and cares for you as his child, if you base your worth on anything else, you will be disappointed. Because no other foundation is trustworthy. All other things that we think will give us value are inadequate. When you get the things that you think will do it for you, you'll find it unsatisfying. At best, these things can only give a temporary feeling of significance until that feeling fades, leaving you wanting something else, or until the thing itself is lost. If you want to know if one of these things has too much importance in your life, ask yourself this question. What is it that if I were to lose that thing, it would totally destroy my world? What is it that if it was taken away from me, my sense of value and who I am would be crushed? What if you lost your job? Or what if your marriage fell apart? Or you were injured so you could no longer be an athlete and be active? Of course, it's not wrong for these kinds of things to be important to you, but none of them should be the bedrock foundation of our lives. If we understand that our value is based on being created in the image of God, how will it change the way we face these kinds of tragic events? We might still mourn the loss, but we won't despair. We will not lose all hope. We'll be able to rise above the hard, hard things in our life. Now, there's one other uh, false foundation of personal worth that I want to single out especially here as, as, as something that's especially tempting and dangerous for church people like, like most of us. And that is that we, will, we, we want to find our value in religious and moral observance and moral performance. We think that if, if, we, if we just uh, can, uh, can be good enough, uh, it, it, it will give us value in the eyes of God and in the eyes of our peers around us if we're just good uh, church-going, Bible-reading, prayer-saying, offering-giving, if, if we're those kind of people... If, we, if we're faithful to our marriage vows, we pay all the taxes that we owe, we have pornography blockers on our computers, we do all those good things, then uh, because we try very hard to live up to God's expectations, therefore we'll be valuable in his eyes. Now, it is true that some people really do a lot of good stuff uh, when they're trying to do this, and, and 
Many of them do a pretty good job of avoiding bad stuff. But if you think that your religious and moral performance is the foundation of your value as a person, you're still off the mark. Seeking personal significance in this way is certain to fail because you are certain to fail to live up to your religious and moral obligations. And if following the rules is the foundation of your self-worth, then you will be crushed by guilt every time. Often this mindset also leads to very judgmental and condemning attitudes towards others in an effort to make yourself feel better. But fortunately, the Bible is very clear that the value that God puts on you and his love for you are not determined by your ability to be good. The Bible tells us that no one is able to win God's approval through good deeds. God loves us and cares for us because we are his children, created to be like him, and our sins do not change that one way or the other. Well, the question then becomes, how does sin affect us? Because it does. Since we are all sinful people, how highly should we see ourselves? What should our, 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 our self-image be? And, and there are really two, uh, two opposite extremes that we need to avoid in the way that we understand ourselves. Um, on the one hand uh, is what is sometimes called worm theology. That's where we should think of ourselves as lowly worms. This way of thinking calls us to, to, to think that we are sinful, unworthy of anything good, and the emphasis here is on our guilt. On the other extreme are those who believe that we should think of ourselves as essentially good people. To these people, the good news that the Bible teaches is that uh, because God loves us, we should also learn to love ourselves and have really high self-esteem. Now, of course, there's truth in both of those extremes, right? We are sinful people, and God does love us and, and, and values us highly. But, but the Bible uh, calls us to kind of a middle ground between those two. Uh, the Bible tells us, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The Bible tells us we're supposed to think of ourselves with sober judgment. That means we've got to avoid both of those extremes, not thinking too highly of ourselves, but also recognizing the value that God has given us as his children. And it's really the core of the gospel message that shows us a proper view of ourselves. The Bible does teach us that we are all sinful and that it is hopeless for us to try to escape sin on our own. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That sounds like some, that extreme worm theology, right? Uh, we are all unrighteous. We lack understanding. When it comes to doing good, we are worthless. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us there. The Bible also teaches that despite the fact that we all fail God and choose sin, he loves us. God saw that we had failed him. He saw that the people whom he had created in his own image and likeness had marred that image 
with sin and that, thro- uh, that our relationship with him was broken because of that. And because we were valuable to him, he did not leave us without a means of salvation. The Bible says this, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible couldn't be more clear that God's love for us is not due to our good deeds, but despite our sin. And how much did God love us? What was he willing to do to free us from the consequences of our sin? God demonstrated his love in this. Christ died for us. Jesus left his place at the Father's side in heaven and came to earth to live among us, knowing that he would be rejected by his own people and die a torturous death so that we could be made holy and live with him forever in eternity. That's the measure of the value that God puts on us. Timothy Keller uh, explains it like this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared to hope. Just one more point that I want to make this morning. We focused this morning on gaining a biblical understanding of our own self-image. But obviously, this, this understanding of the value of people as God's image bearers should also affect the way that we treat one another. God didn't just love you and die for you. We must also see others as having that same value. And that means that especially those who have needs around us, are, are, they are people who bear the image of God. And how will that affect the way that we see the poor, the immigrants, the refugees, even our enemies, our people created in the image of God. These are people who God created in his likeness, and they are valuable to him. How will that understanding of the value of people affect our efforts to explain the gospel message to people who don't yet believe? If Christ was willing to die, what should we do to help people understand the way of salvation? I want to conclude just by reiterating again that the the, the big idea of this whole passage from from Genesis chapter 1, we are created in God's image, and that is the foundational core of what gives us value. It says there again, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them.